Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody, and as a good lady always says, your team every day. Yes, Locked On Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, guys, offseason doesn't exist around here. Uh, still a head coach to be named. Uh, first domino to fall today, Green Bay Packers. Uh, hire Dan LaFleur, offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. A uh, little bit of an interesting hire. Uh, here's a guy with a great, great upside. Um, didn't show much in his first year down in Tennessee, so a little bit interesting from that regard that he was the guy. Uh, I'm assuming maybe he must have passed the Aaron Rodgers test. That's the first thing I'm going to go with. Um, but, you know, uh, he is off. Uh, you know, Josh McDaniels uh, could end up staying in New England, and this could be part of maybe he's the future in New England or, you know, he's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, and sometimes you only have one home, so maybe you're going to end up sticking to it. Uh, Cleveland just going to continue to interview. Uh, we'll see how it shakes out here, and you know, hopefully, you know, within a week, hopefully, if not a little longer. But do your diligence. Make sure you're getting the right guy. Our guest here this evening, as we do our lockdowns episode, brought to you tonight by mybookie.com for NBCSports.com. Um, she's been on before. Um, I, I, I appreciate her work. Uh, one of the things I do love, though, is you know, the Browns and the Cleveland sports are near and dear to her heart. Even though she is an NYC gal right now, from NBCSports.com, Miss Samantha Bunton. Samantha, how's everything going? Doing pretty well. How are you, Jeff? It's good to be back. Uh, it was. I, I got to tell you, it was. You know, look. I mean, and we had talked, and we had high hopes. The preseason seemed like it was going pretty well, and then, you know, even with the tie, it was like, all right, hey, you know, you tied Pittsburgh. That's the best we've done in ages. You know, gave the Saints a game, and then kind of, you know, that Jet game was the one everybody had earmarked. All right, you know, this is it. We're turning around, and about for the first, you know, what twenty eight minutes or so, it was. Oh God. We're going to be up till midnight. Everybody's got to work tomorrow. The hangover's going to suck. And, uh, you know, then all of a sudden, Tyrod Taylor gets a little dinged. And, you know, everybody got their wish. And once, you know, he was kind of like the genie in the, in the, you know, the genie in the bottle. Once you got out, he was never going back in. And Cleveland and the world got to meet number six, Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I mean, we always point back at it. That game is the turning point in the season. We didn't really know. I think it was preseason the last time you and I talked. And we had kind of you know looked at Baker's. Obviously, we both really liked the pick and wanted to see what he could do. But at that point, there was still, I think, a, a lot of mixed opinions on whether or not Terod Taylor was the guy, whether Baker needed to sit for a year. And then we had a, a what turned out to be an incredibly lucky break. And I hate saying that about somebody getting injured, but that's what it was. And luckily he was not seriously injured. So can do that with less guilt, I guess, than if it were a more significant injury to Taylor. And, and then Baker came in and then everything changed. And, and this is the first time you and I have gotten a chance to talk since uh, <laughs> the uh, everything is different now uh, for the Browns than it was a mere six months ago. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I mean, definitely the culture change. And, and then it got to the point, you know, I mean, and it was weird, you know, with a couple of times this year saying, you know, whether it was the Raider game or whether it was the Tampa game. And damn it, we shouldn't have lost that game. I mean, it was weird saying those words. And, you know, but they were absolutely, you know, they, they rung true. Those were cases of, and, you know, which probably led to the undoing. But it was, damn it, we're leaving wins on the table now. All of a sudden we went from starving to, to, to greedy. <laughs> Oh, for sure. I mean, just coming, you can take it all the way down to week 17 and to me going, I'm, I think we're going to win this game. I, I have confidence that we can beat the Ravens, a team that is desperate for a win, that is very talented, that needs this to get into the playoffs. And I'm still sitting there saying, I think they can win this, which is obviously didn't work out that way. But to even be able to say that with any kind of realistic expectation that it might be true. And the fact that we're complaining about the rest taking wins away from us and not in that hysterical 
NFL fan, always the rest fault way, but in a way where it, no, it really was the rest that cost us that Oakland game. Really, really bizarre to think about the, the mindset that's changed in last year when we were down, like scraping for, for one win, and now we're angry because we were deprived of that eighth or ninth win. Uh, 100%. Uh, then, you know, you move on and, you know, now and here was the thing, you know, all of a sudden, you know, changes are made. It's Freddie Kitchens. It's Greg Williams. And, you know, oh, wow, Greg Williams. Oh, my God. Greg Williams is a head coach in the NFL again. Um, you know, and we kept screwing up his name, calling him Todd. But Freddie Kitchens, he was a guy, you know, really, really, only thing anybody knew about him was is he had a nice week four first half preseason calling plays with Baker Mayfield. They put up a ton of points. And now it was just like, all right, well, guys, here, just, you know, finish up this season for us. You know, wherever it falls, it falls. And, you know, maybe it's maybe it's, maybe it's just going to be another bad one on the record. But, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Freddie Kitchens kind of just found something. The guys believed in him. He believed in them. And it just it became a really fun product. Oh, yeah. It's a completely different experience watching the Browns this season. And it's not even just about the wins. It's about the fact that we're actually having – fun again watching this and so much of this was about like you said you didn't really expect anything I mean Hugh gets fired and we're all sitting there going well they can't be worse right but it was <laughs> essentially an unknown quantity you know Greg not the greatest track record in his very brief appearance as a head coach prior to this and some complaints about him up and sort of down the board for various things and uh, Freddie Kitchens is very much an unknown I think and we had nothing to go on other than as you said that he did a nice job when he called that preseason game against Detroit where a lot of scrubs in for both sides and I think all agreed that he did a good job there but it's preseason the same way that we would kind of dismiss a player having a good performance in a game like that like no we'll see how you do in the regular season when it's a real game against the number ones on a real team and, and sure enough then it but it actually was a harbinger of the way that things were going to go. I think Kitchen's absolutely incredible job. I, I think Greg did an incredible job too. And he's certainly as a decision maker, often leaves something to be desired, but the Browns needed somebody to be the guy who kind of lights the fire under you and Greg, whatever else is wrong with him, he makes you want to run through a wall for him and the, the energy that he brought, whether that translates to any future with the team or not, I think it was something they needed this year. Well, I think that, and this was always, you know, the thing with Hugh Jackson was, is, you know, Hugh would kind of look you in the face and say, you're my guy, I love you. And then behind closed doors over, you know, what was he drinking with Mike Silver? Spritzers. He's a real scumbag. That kid's never <laughs> that kid's never going to play for me. He's an absolute scumbag. Greg Williams, if he thought you were crap, he would tell you right to your face he thought you were crap. So you knew what you were getting, and, you know, when you're dealing with a team where your best players in the core of your roster is, you know, what, 25, 24, 23 years old, They'd rather the brutal honesty than have to say, I barely know you, so I don't know if you're playing mind games with me or not. Whereas Greg Williams, it was, you know, I mean, he'd, he'd put it on a T-shirt to get his point across if you were not picking up what he was trying to put down. Oh, yeah. It's, well, yeah, it's, we're all adults here, right? I mean, yep. everybody on this team, everybody working for this team and involved in is an adult. There's no, we're not talking about little kids where you're going to, oh, sure, you know, great job today, you know, Tommy and Billy, and then <laughs> behind their back, like, that kid sucks. Like, <laughs> where can I hide him that he won't affect the performance of the rest of my team? Right? Left They're out. little children. And, and Hugh, I mean, to me, it's, it's cowardice what, what Hugh did. It's, I'm afraid to say it to your face, or I will say whatever I need to say to whomever I need to say it. And I think he has a lot of that going on. It's duplicity. I mean, look what he did on his little media tour after that. And Greg, yeah, like, 
Greg's going to look you right in the face and say, well, you effing suck, like right to your face. And then he's going to move on. And that's better for everybody in this situation. Well, exactly. I mean, you, you need to know it that way. And, you know, like, look, it's, you know, if somebody says, oh, well, I have a problem with this and I can't believe you're doing this. Well, if you didn't miss six tackles last week, I wouldn't be riding your ass like this. And, you know, and then you had Freddie who went his different route but got the guys in. Freddie went to the offensive line and said, guys, look, I, I've got 40 running plays I'd like to run this week. Pick six or seven that you guys think are the best. And, you know, and, and even when you get to the point where your third string tailback in, in Hilliard, well, it wasn't a great pass, but there was a play called where he threw a ball. I mean, if you're going to keep everybody engaged, it just, that keeps them giving everything for you. And I think that is one of the most impressive things for Freddie that came over over that second half of the season. For Here was a guy who was a virtual nobody. And I remember, and it was funny, uh, I think Jake Burns brought up some, uh, he actually did a little video of him today playing at Alabama. And I remember him playing there. Obviously, you know, he had a long security route to get here, battled some illnesses. But, I mean, here went from a guy who was like, you know, who the heck is he? Oh, wow, he's not doing a bad job to, man, I don't think I want this guy to leave in any capacity whatsoever. Oh, I very much with you on that. I, I I know there is a circumstance where there could be a good coaching hire that would prevent us from keeping Freddie Kitchens, but I would be devastated by that. And I'm, you know, sort of my viewpoint, I know we'll probably talk about this later, but if I'm looking at head coaches, one of the things I'm prioritizing is keeping Freddie there. And he was sort of the perfect, I, I don't want to say foil, but it, that's almost what it is to, to Greg Williams, the two guys who were kind of the, the last two men standing in terms of who was in charge of the team. And you've got Greg, who, like you said, is, is blustery and fiery, and he's going to tell you exactly how it is. And Kitchens is, is certainly not a soft touch, per se, but he did a lot of, you know, you mentioned sort of the, the crowdsourcing of the plays. And bringing everybody in and sort of your opinion matters is the exact opposite of Greg Williams. I don't care what you think to anybody who dares to have an opinion. And and there's room for both of those things. And I think it kind of puts the Browns in a situation where you have a lot of young players. You've got somebody who's giving them the tough love who's saying, you think you need to get better. Here's how it is. And then you've got a guy who said, but your opinion matters and we want to include you in this. And and Kitchens is the perfect sort of, you know, you heard that everybody heard the story that Baker told about, you know, Kitchens getting stuff wrong and did the aw shucks. Well, I'm from Alabama. You know, of course I did. This is the the great sort of uh, humble kind of understatement of, oh, I'm just a guy. And it's a a terrific, I, I think, ploy to get others outside to kind of underestimate you and the product that you're building it works really really well especially in tandem with somebody like williams completely different personality type different approach but the browns kind of needed both of those things yeah i mean it's almost like the huckleberry approach in the week where he played it off the best mm-hmm. was the carolina game and he was like look if baker has any issues out there don't worry about it luke keekley's going to make the calls for him and he came with those counter plays and what did he say I did it strictly to go after Luke Keekley. I knew Luke was good. I knew Luke was going to pursue like a son of a gun. I wanted to do something where we could counteract his pursuit. And the way he sold it early in the week, like he gave him the biggest compliment in the world, like, "Oh shucks, this guy's so good. He's going to get 16 tackles." And then he has he had a play in the hole, you know, for Jarvis Landry. I mean, to think you're going to use Jarvis Landry underneath on some run plays, and called it twice. It won for a touchdown. Won an absolute flip of the field that changed the complete momentum of the game. It, it basically put them in control to close it out. It was just impressive to see. And you know, and like you said, I mean, he kind of played the hmm, you know, you know, oh, the old country boy maybe knows a couple things. Maybe I don't know what I don't know that type of thing. But played it perfectly. 
Yeah, I, I think he is absolutely fantastic, and this is something that I think is not typically thought of as points in favor of or in some cases against an offensive coordinator, but the psychology of not just how you approach but how you present the approach that you're taking. And I always kind of cringe a little bit when I see a coach or a coordinator where they're asked about a player on the opposing team and they just, you can tell they're doing everything they can not to say anything positive about them, not to compliment them. It, the best thing you can do in that situation, and Kitchens is so good at this, it's sort of underplaying his part of it, sort of circumventing the question, not actually answering it, and but giving the guy a huge compliment. It's a little bit like the, the Andrew Luck thing, you know, when he, when he gets sacked and telling defenders, great job, great tackle. You know, it's, number one, you're not allowing anybody to, you know, get your proverbial coat. You're also, I think allowing somebody to number one you're not giving out bulletin board material but i do think there's also as much as these guys are professionals and they're trained to kind of know that of course their job is to compliment you and, and what have you and that most coaches will do that and that they will talk you up rather than cut you down because they don't want to give you an excuse to play harder that people are lulled into a false sense of security by a guy who sort of quietly oh aw, shucks you know it, it does work if you can back it up with good play calling, and he absolutely did. Yeah, absolute pleasure just to see the way he unfolded all that. Guys, like I said, we are brought here tonight by MyBookie.com. Um, for me, guys, uh, my favorite site, if I am going to place wagers, is MyBookie.com. I will always tell you who you wager with is almost as important as you uh, who you wager on. That's where MyBookie.com comes in. They've been in business for years. They have great reviews online. Their mobile site, clean, simple, easy to use. Uh, they have in-game, live betting, over-unders on fantasy points scored, and the most rewarder playing perks in the business. MyBookie is currently slammed with possible new membership. They definitely always get a spike at playoff time. It's easier to uh, you know bet a four-game slate over a weekend as opposed to it is you know a 14 or a 16-game slate. Uh, so if you create your account after 7 p.m. Eastern, they will give you a free $25. Use the promo code LOCKDOWN25 uh, you know, to activate that free $25. Uh, visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E.com. MyBookie.com. You play, you win, you get paid. Uh, now, Samantha, obviously with a bunch of second-year players, uh, these guys, along with Denzel Ward and you know, Joe Schobert, Larry Ogunjobi, a lot of growth, a lot of growth, and a foundation of a defense was born this year. Um, you know, still a couple holes are going to be needed, but you really, really saw a lot from this defense. Absolutely, and, and this was a unit where we expected that we might see forward progress even before we knew that there was going to be coaching changes and, and schematic changes and so on and so forth. That we expected the defense to be getting better, ton of talent on this unit, but I don't think we expected the jump to be as big as it was, or at least I certainly didn't. Really, really huge, huge, hugely impressive progress there. Not just from an overall performance, the defense as a whole performed better, but that you can point at a lot of individuals on this defense and say, hey, look, this guy is doing his job better than he was a year ago. And sometimes, you know, these are obviously with a rookie um, or a free agent who was brought in outside. We can't necessarily do that because it's apples to oranges with their old team or their college team. But I was really, really impressed by the sort of progress of the defense made from game to game. And you can point at individuals and say, you know, this guy in this week or this guy in that week. But the defense, for the most part, got steadily and consistently better throughout the whole season. And that's what we wanted to see, even when our expectations were much lower, right? We're saying, hey, I want to see improvement, not just from last season, but each week I want to see this team get better because that's what you want out of a sort of heavily useful roster. And I think we got that. Yeah, uh, and for me, the one that kind of stood out, and it seems that he's still a little bit underappreciated, but Jabril Peppers, uh, it just the growth of his second year. And for me, he needed that one game where he did a little bit of everything to kind of, 
you know, look, I mean, you know, and he's talked about the fact that he went to Michigan and sometimes he can't even go to a restaurant without getting razzed. But he needed that that one night, that one game, and look, everybody was watching, the entire nation was watching on Saturday night, and that effort he put together in Denver and kind of ad-libbed on that last play, and, you know, look, good thing he got home, because I'm sure Greg, it would have been a fun plane ride back to Cleveland if he hadn't gotten home, but, uh, you know, Jabril Peppers in his second year, getting to play a role he's more comfortable in, just, just a young man just absolutely just grew into a playmaker. Yeah, I'm so thrilled with, with what's happened with him. I, I will be honest and say I, I didn't like the pick when they took him, which I, I went to Penn State, so I don't care that he went to Michigan. I'm not an Ohio State fan, but I didn't like the pick. I felt like he was a man without a position, didn't know what the Browns were going to do with him, didn't know if he had the smarts to play safety. A lot of questions about him coming in, and then he kind of proved me right in his first season, and some of that was scheme. Um, it wasn't all him. Some of it was, you know, when we all used to joke about the whole, why is the safety 40 yards off the ball? Why is there safety on my front lawn? And, and that's not Peppers. You know, he can't control that stuff, but he had a lot of, uh, I'd say, transitional issues going from college to the NFL. And certainly I think the sort of Michigan-Ohio State issue in the Cleveland area probably didn't help as silly as that seems to somebody like me who is outside of both of those fan bases and really doesn't care. It's, it's a real thing. And I'm sure it means something when you're 0-16. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, that's the thing. Is any excuse, any excuse, you know, and, and if everybody's coming down on you like that, and, and you're still talking about Michigan, and, and he made some poor choices, you know, I think he engaged sometimes with fans in a situation where, hey, you know, you've got to be fans. <laughs> you have to take the high road if you're the player in some of these situations. But I, I understand some of his complaints. But really, really impressed with with his work in the second year. And like you said, you know, he does have a little bit of. I have mixed feelings about it because I, I, the safety is my favorite position on the field. So I'm fascinated by the play there. It's what I'm really, really interested in. Watch these guys really, really closely. And I obviously, ideally, you want a safety who can be a decision maker out there, who can be the guy who kind of makes his own choices and does what he thinks needs to be done, even if it's not really how it's been drawn up. But with Peppers, really, really nervous about allowing him to do that prior to that. So you bring up that plan that Denver gave it. Oh boy, this better work. Uh, Greg is going to tear him limb from limb, but it, it did. And, Really, really happy for him. He's just been incredible. I think he's got a very, very bright future, despite a little bit of stumbling there at the outset in the rookie season. Well, I mean, it's and look, it, it, it's it's understandable in an 0-16 season as a rookie to say, look, you know, I'm having a trouble finding my way here, and I don't exactly know who he would have went to to say, hey, look, I'm having a little problems adjusting. You know, we're not winning, we're not playing well. Uh, you know, who would he went to? Uh, he, there probably was nobody to go to, but you bring in. I I, and I don't know if there's anything to this. Um, but I know him and Demarius Randall developed a pretty close relationship, and Demarius Randall just came in here and basically just took over that DB room from day one, and and I think it had to work out well there. But like, you know, as you brought up the safety play, you know, Deshaun Kaiser for Demarius Randall, I mean, is if there's any other trades like that, can we please do them? Because uh, let's do those a million times again. Because you brought in a guy who wanted to go back to free safety, who wanted to change the scenery, and to think. He came here, and in this season, saying, "All right, I'm going to a place that was one in 31." And all the Packers, well, dude, what do you do? Look what you, what's gonna happen? Look where you're going, and where is he now? And well, how does your year, guys? You know, like when they send their Christmas cards. Hey, guys, how was your year? Not, not bad for me up here in Cleveland. We did okay. 
<laughs> yeah, it's incredible. And I, I liked that trade when it happened, but you, you wonder, like you said, if Randall liked it very much. But, uh, you know, and there was certainly, I think, a lot of Kaiser apologists around it at that point who were saying, oh, you know, this is a mistake and he's going to go there and he's going to become this great backup studying under Aaron Rodgers and go on to be a great quarterback. And, well, we all saw how that turned out. And even if he had, I mean, who cares? You don't need him. He was never going to be that person on the grounds. And to be able to get a guy like Randall back, like you said, to really come in and kind of take over the DB room, be the guy who kind of says, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm leading this unit. And they needed somebody like that because as much talent as there is back there, a lot of youth. And the last time we've had somebody who was that kind of safety, that smart, sort of very, very capable leader and guy who's sort of, a, in a way, kind of the, to use the sort of very, very overused phrase, the quarterback of the defense type, which I think he has to some degree taken on that role, at least certainly within the secondary, see him come in there and get these young guys to kind of get on board with, with what he's preaching has been absolutely incredible. I, I think it's probably one of the best acquisitions, either draft or free agency, that the Browns have made in a very long time. It won't be the one people remember, but you know that's going to be the, the Chubb and the Baker Mayfield. And certainly not saying it's a better pickup than, say, Baker Mayfield, but I do think it's a, still, even at this point, even when we recognize what he is and what he's done to his team, still, I think, a very, very underrated move by John Dorsey. Yeah, and that one you get you have to get a, a ton of credit for. Um, just you know, first things first. Played barely could practice with the injury status he had. Came in week out, week in week out. Played hard. Uh, you go to the Tampa game. They were light on corners. Uh, all right, Demarius, uh, do me a favor. Yeah, but can you just take Mike Evans this week? And look, I mean, Mike Evans had his day. Had like about seven for a hundred. Randall kept in front of him the whole time. Uh, he did not score a touchdown. Uh, again, that's a game the Browns should have won. Uh, so, you know, hey, can you just do me a quick favor and top carry cover this week, one of the top five wide receivers in the league? So, a, a fantastic job from him, from him in that area. Um, he, definitely, he, he's kind of put this city on his back, and he's got no problem. Like, you know, and like we said with some of these guys they brought in, oh, you know, we said it you know, almost through the years, none of these guys came here and said, well, that's great. You all were 1-31. I freaking wasn't. I wasn't 1-31, and, and it's not going to go on on my watch. Oh, yeah. I, I think that some of that is, you know, the, the culture change, the, the attitude change that comes with that. And that's why I think it's so important to the Browns were in just awful cycle where you can't get anybody to sign with you in free agency or at least anybody who is any good because you're so bad that unless you're just talking about somebody who wants a heap of money and you're the one offering the biggest pile, nobody wants to come there. And I think especially people like that, uh, anybody who's kind of that sort of leader, that kind of attitude, it's not really just about how you perform on the field, but a guy like that really, really competitive, kind of wants to lead a team, and if the organization is seen as kind of toxic, then a person like that doesn't want to come there because it doesn't match with sort of their own philosophy of how they approach their position, what they do when it comes to sort of their role off the field that's not just about technical execution on the football field. And I I just think that for for him to obviously, you know, he didn't have any say in that, but to to come over and kind of adopt the attitude that he did, even when Hugh Jackson was still in the building, and sort of to recognize what John Dorsey was trying to do here. And it wasn't just him. It was a number of guys like the team, and I think it made a huge difference for the team because you need leaders on the field, too. It can't all do that. No, it most certainly cannot, and it's not usually going to, and especially the way this season went because now it was like, you know, I mean, the players, wait a minute, was he like fourth in command in offense? And now he's running the offense. <laughs> Greg's in charge of everything. Gave the gig, the defensive coordinator gig to his son. His son's talking analytics, and Greg's okay with it. Or what is going on here? But I mean, you know, for the players, everybody—it just—it was like the imperfect, perfect recipe. 
that put them in a cont- contention up until week 16. Um, I think if they had made the changes they made after half, they still could have finished up 8-7-1 because uh, you saw the Chargers kind of took a lot of that yesterday and put more athleticism up fairly closer to the line and said, all right, beat me with your arm because there's no shot you're going to beat me with your legs. So I think they would have they had a better shot in week 18, I mean week 17, obviously, in Baltimore if they had gone to that adjustment a little earlier. But, you know, Greg sometimes is a little stubborn and a little slow to things. Uh, guys, this is Locked On Browns here uh, from NBCSports.com. Samantha bummed in kind enough to join us here again this evening. Uh, guys, the Locked On NFL podcast with Matt Williamson. Uh, your Monday shows, you get hosts, uh, you know, most likely you're going to get hosts now from the playoff teams. We'll get three to four of those guys in, you know, talk about the weekend action. Um, you know, Friday he'll do give you his picks for the weekend. Uh, you know, like I said, mybookie.com comes in handy there. Sage Rosenfels, Mike Renner on Wednesdays, Mike Sando on Thursdays from ESPN. Puts together a killer lineup Monday through Friday. So Matt Williamson in the Locked On NFL Podcast, guys. Uh, make sure you're following along during the playoffs here. Matt's going to keep you posted here and with great shows and great content. Now we're going to start to close it out here a little bit, but Samantha, it's still going on. Uh, you know the coaching. Uh, you know, obviously the coaching interviews. Freddie got his shot at the big gig today, and a lot. Some folks I talk with say that the Browns really like him. They may think as a head coach he could be a year away, but the issue is he's here now. If you make these changes, you may not get the shot. But other thoughts you have? I mean, for me, it, I, I know it's you know living in the moment to say. We'll give Freddie the gig because look how great these eight weeks were. You know, granted the last twenty something were terrible, twenty something years. But I, I, for, for me, if it's if it's going to work with him and Baker, and it seems like it's working with everything offensively, maybe it's the way to go. And it seems like some of these bigger names that maybe had interest in the job either don't or don't want to coach this year. Mike McCarthy, a lot from what I'm hearing now is he took some interviews, and with the interviews, it seems more and more like. He thinks he just wants to take the year off, which I can understand. It was a long run in Green Bay. Maybe sit back and see where you are and see maybe even you want to go back into coaching. But, you know, obviously still some time here. Any other names that speak your interest? You know, I, the candidate pool to me was underwhelming. and, and that's not It was weird because they built it up yeah. like he was going to be really, really good. And then all of a sudden the name started coming through. And, well, you know, well, offense coordinator here. And even like today with LaFleur. I mean, I understand he's got, you know, yeah. Ram ties. And, you know, pop it. But, I mean, his offense this year wasn't really that great. And, you know, the only reason they were successful as long as they were is because Derrick Henry decided to have the December of his life. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was the 25th ranked offense on the season. How on earth does that translate into you are now in charge of Aaron Rodgers and the Packers? Uh, that's a, you know, One of the most coveted jobs in the league. One of the most coveted jobs in the league. Exactly. Like, <laughs> and still, still, here we are 25 incredible. minutes later. I'm still scratching my head. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm tough to figure out unless you just think that this is the guy who said, okay, Aaron, like, you can be your own coach. You tell me what to do, and I'll do it. So I suppose that's the, the possibility there. We joke, and I'm only kind of half kidding about that. But, you know, for the Browns, I, I was underwhelmed by the candidate pool. Like I said, I, I just think that, you know, there have been other years where I was way more excited about, even if it wasn't the person who ultimately won the job, somebody who was in that pool. I had a guy who I was like, that's my guy. That's the one I want. I don't really see anybody like that here. So kind of getting into this whole, and you mentioned the whole thing with Kitchens about, you know, do you take the chance? Do you see what happens in a year? Do you worry about the fact that you might lose him if he waits too long? And mostly, I guess I just kind of, you know, if they need to do that, if they need to go with some combination of Greg and Kitchens or bring in somebody who you don't really expect to stay, I think that's fine. Like, I want to get away from this whole notion that, Whoever you hire as your head coach needs to be there for the next 20 years. I mean, if you take Belichick out of the equation, who are the longest tenured coaches in the league? I mean, the next behind him is Marvin Lewis. 
who was basically kept jobs for 16 years because he wasn't horrible and he was in an organization that doesn't like to make changes. So it's, But he was I always smart think... to put together that 9-7, and seven, the year where it was about right. where his contract was over. Like, he, he played it smart, too. But, I mean, I'll, I'll bring up Parcells' name. The guy had 76 stops along the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, especially with the, the way things change, I think sometimes you need a fresh set of eyes or it's, sometimes people will do... They, they kind of burn out on their time in one location and, and they, you know, sort of going somewhere different, that change of scenery helps them, helps the team, helps their old team because somebody new comes in there as well. So just really don't love this. I mean, look at the Gruden thing, for goodness sake. I mean, now everybody's crying. Raiders fan base, nine more years of this. I mean, you don't want to commit to something like that. If you get a guy and it doesn't work out, then fine. Fire him in a year or two. This team is young. They're going to be fine. As long as they continue to make forward progress and you're not hiring somebody who's totally incompetent, don't know that you need to find your life or coach in the next three weeks. Yeah, and the thing, um, look, I mean, if the offense, which was consistently scoring you know, within the mid-20s per week, now defensively, look, you've got a lot of money. You can add a defensive tackle. You can draft a defensive tackle. You can beef up your linebacking core a little bit. You can get another cornerback. And I think you can find somebody to coach that. Uh, look, Miles Garrett, only getting better. Larry Ogunjobi's only getting better. Jannard Avery, just you know, just finding his way as a player. You know what you have in Joe Schobert. Uh, the secondary, I mean, it looks it's kind of hard to squeeze a guy in there right now because it looks like you're pretty darn good when you have your entire secondary playing. So can you find somebody to coach that? I think you can find somebody to coach that. Do you want to disrupt what looks has the potential if you bring in maybe just another wide receiver of a, 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 a rock star squad on offense that's capable to score 25, 30 points? I mean, look, everybody, oh, this Ravens defense, they're really picking it up. They're really picking it up. Well, Browns went in there and dropped 23 points on them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that the Browns, first of all, there's a lot of sort of traditionalism in the way that we look at, you know, oh, the Ravens defense, the Ravens defense, well, you can score on. And it, and yet their numbers are good enough to indicate that I think the Browns being able to put 23 points on the board in that game is something special. They they came very, very close to sweeping the Ravens on the season. They should not have. Nothing. They should and, have. And they, fourth, they and ten, fourth and 10 at the yeah. opponent, 45 with a minute and a half to go. There's no, I mean, oh, yeah. in most circumstances, they would have. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's your one bad Greg Williams decision and, you know, one <laughs> number of little things. And that's, I guess, you know, to, to your point before that, I just, I don't think it's going to be hard to find somebody to be that defensive guy. So I I'm sort of tired of hearing that, well, how's Freddie Kitchens going to build a stack? He, he doesn't need to, if you don't want to keep Greg, if you want Greg to go, if you're saying, okay, like he's not working out, or if you think Greg will not agree to stay on as a defensive coordinator because he was passed over for the head coaching job or because you don't think he should be the defensive coordinator anymore. It's not going to be hard to get somebody to take that job. There are a lot of people out there. I mean, the whole organization is top to bottom. People are talking about how coveted this Browns job is for head coach. It's going to be the same thing for a defensive coordinator, no matter who gets the head coaching job. Yeah, well, uh, let's see. I get to go coach Miles Garrett, Larry Ogunjobi, Denzel Ward, Joe Schobert. Had over 110 tackles two years in a row. Demarius. I mean, you, you start going through the list. Yeah, I, I'll find a way to make it work with those guys. I'll give it a shot. So, I mean, you know, and it's and it's not hard. And, and you're gonna and look and you know as you know these new staffs get assembled, old staffs are gonna get ripped apart. And there's gonna be a guy. And look, Freddie might be able to go to somebody you know who's got more experience and say, hey, look. I'm not going to bother you ever. I I don't even need to know where your office is, bro. 
You handle your defense. Oh, it's all you. 100%, man. Don't worry about it. You do your thing over there. Uh, just ask me if you want me to call a timeout. I'll take care of that for you. But, I mean, you know, Freddie can be in that position. I just think the way it's shaking out and the way it's working out, I, I just don't know if there's a better outside candidate other than somebody who's not coming here or not available. I don't know if there's a better candidate right now than risking, you know, overturning the apple cart, so to speak. Well, yeah, I think that if you had something that the Browns, it's just it's been so bad for so long that I'm very much on the, like, if it ain't broke, don't break it trained about this well, like, it's almost like it's almost like relationships like dude you kept dating all these jerks these girls all treated you like yeah. crap this girl's nice to you and it really seems to be working out <laughs> right don't look the gift horse in the mouth right like if there were some wonderful candidate who had a very very good sort of established track record of success who was a good fit to the way that the browns run things the personnel that they have the point that they're in sort of in their process of building a competitive team then sure then absolutely you go get that person and then you try to convince them to keep freddie and if they won't then you hope that they will have the sense to kind of look for somebody who is similar, who might be a good fit with Baker. But there isn't a person out there on the board. Like you said, everybody who was like that either isn't leaving their current post or isn't really in the sort of brown the, the sphere of candidates that's out there. I, I don't know why you would take a chance on an unknown when you have somebody in-house who, worst-case scenario, finishes a little bit better than this season, where you already finished way, way ahead of where you thought that you would, you're still going to be a competitive team. You have the fourth most cap space of anybody in the league. You can go out there and spend. You've got plenty of draft picks. Like, why mess with it if you can't find something that you know is going to be better? And that's where I think I look at it from John, because John's going to look at it as, mm. all right, this is what went on with my free agents. This is what I went on with my draft picks. And this is basically only based on half the season. So, hey, maybe you are my guy. Um, I get to go to work here now and do my thing and make things even easier for you, easier for guys who coach on the other side of the ball. I don't know. It just seems to be the way that the X's and O's are just lining up here. And if it's a guy you really like and maybe you think it's a little bit too soon, it's better to try too soon than to be facing him in week 16, two years from now, and saying, you know what, should have been my guy then. He should have been my guy then. So that's just where I'm going to leave it. I, I, you know, unless there's some, and everybody always loves the mystery candidate, whatever's behind door number three, but there doesn't seem to be any talk of it here in Cleveland. Eric Bieniemy was a guy I loved, but now more that's more and more has come out. You know, Eric Bieniemy off the field, he's he's kind of got a little bit of a. I mean, he carries a heavy bag with him, and some of that stuff, I mean, just doesn't really jive for a head coach. I mean, you know, some of the stuff, you know, apparently the accusations he's got against him. So it's probably better to steer clear. But, I mean, I'll be okay with Freddie. And if it is the old country bumpkin and he can kind of give you a wink that he knows he's playing the game, hey, let's rock with it. I mean, it's different. It's working. And at this point, I'm okay with it because the last eight, nine weeks of the season were certainly a lot lot better than the last 20 years. Oh, for sure. I mean, I have the pathological fear of the unknown. And with the Browns, it used to be more of a fear of the known. We used to say anything was better than this. But now that we have... modicum of success and I think a path to get even better than that that's very much about the whole okay you know I there do your I know you and, and Pete were talking about this a couple of episodes ago when you did your mailbag episode about you know doing your due diligence and it's great that you can interview a 
huge pool of candidates. And I think that's wonderful. Talk to everybody. Absolutely. Because somebody might surprise you. But if we're talking mostly about people who are, for whatever reason, flawed in some way, you know, whether that's about lack of experience or philosophical differences or Eric Bieniemy, which is, I, I'm with you on that. I, I loved him. Loved I was stunned. I, I was stunned when it came out. I was out. shocked. Shocked. Totally shocked. Like, I would, it is, whatever I thought was going to be the thing with him, it was not that. I, my biggest concern was, was this guy like an Andy Reid loyalist? Because I don't know if he's going to want to come to Dorsey. If, so that was shocking to me. So I really, really disappointing. Um, but, you know, other than that, the rest of these guys, I think, what can you show me now without any connection to the Browns whatsoever that you can do better than, than Freddie Kitchens? And I'm just not seeing it. So, it, why not? You know, is somebody, I'm willing to listen, you know, if somebody can present a really good argument and some candidate emerges that we haven't thought about or who is perhaps better than we realize in some capacity, absolutely. But for the time being, especially because like you said, you know, now is the time. Try it now. You're not really out very much. If a year from now you realize, oh, you know what, we've kind of stagnated, we're not getting anywhere. That's okay. And you do another coaching search next year. <laughs> no, and for me, one of the things my, 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 my father always told me, you know, was, you know, look, and this was a lesson in life was, you know, son, sometimes you're going to find something when you're not looking for it. And the way it went and sending, you know, sending, you know, Hugh out, sending, you know, Todd out, and look, here's this, here's this, you guys do what you got to do. They weren't looking for it, but maybe Freddie just, you know, they found it because Freddie had to do it and they got to see it week in, week out. And, you know, it goes back to what my father used to tell me. Sometimes you find something when you're not looking for it. And that may be the case with Freddie Kitchen. It, it may be found money because of you know a situation you had to move on from. Samantha, thank you so much for joining here, me here this evening. Oh, thank you for having me, Jeff. Always a blast. So thank you so much uh, for having me on tonight. Enjoyed it. Yes, always always a blast. Always a lot of laughs with Samantha Button from NBC Sports. Guys, uh, uh, if, you're not, if you're not following Samantha, go ahead. Uh, you got a lot of great stuff over there. Um, she does keep a list. You don't ever want to make Samantha Button's list. It takes a long, long time to get off of it, guys. So do not get your name on the list over there. Um, but always a pleasure. Uh, all the best to you, Samantha. Happy New Year. The Lockdown Browns Twitter account, we always keep it follow back, guys. Go ahead, follow uh, the show back over there. We keep it uh, a follow back account, like I said. Best way for you guys to get in touch with me. Guys, look, if there's something you don't agree with, you don't have to block. You don't have to argue. It's fine. Just let it go. But I can't say everything's great. I will never do a show like that. Not everything's great. There are some things that are bad. So I, I have to report things both ways. Uh, follow me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, iTunes, rating, reviews, uh, fantastic and appreciated as always. You know, those always help the show. Uh, anything Locked On NFL Network you need, Instagram, Twitter, Locked On NFL Net. Check out those accounts. Everything from any of us here who work for Locked On and the NFL side is funneled through those accounts. Guys, I appreciate everything. We're going to continue with the offseason talk. We're going to get to the O-line review tomorrow night. Uh, enjoy the national championship here this evening. I uh, have no idea how it's going to work out. I'll be stunned if Bama doesn't lose. Uh, Bama doesn't win. Um, but as far as that, when we close, Locked On Browns, LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.